And that's why I think trust is definitely uh, on the endangered species list, but it doesn't mean it has to die. Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to The Reluctant Agilist. Today, we're going to talk all about language and fear and some other complicated emotional stuff that we all have to deal with. I would like to thank Charlotte. I'm going to try not to mis- mispronounce it, D. Bartolomeo. Did I get it right? You got it. Yes, awesome. you got it. All right. And Charlotte's from the Red Kite Project. And rather than me kind of jamming this up, can you explain to the folks what you do and what the Red Kite Project actually is? Absolutely. Well, I'm the CEO and founder of Red Kite Project. And we are a resilience-building firm working in high-pressure industries, which, by the way, I don't really know any industries that aren't high-pressure these days. And we help organizations deal with burnout and help them lift out of that burnout cycle that is occurring across the entire country these days. So we help teams build more authentic and supportive and trusting relationships with each other. And we do that by helping them work through conflict, and we help the organization dismantle dehumanizing systems in favor of human ones, and do a lot of relationship building work and process work. So it's consulting and training and coaching and having a good time. (laughs) I think that's a really important piece to enjoy the work and enjoy each other. And you come from a pretty conflict-oriented background. I mean, you've done some pretty extreme stuff, right? I, yes, there's a reason why I like to do resilience building work (laughs) um, and to deal with burnout because I got burned out. I was, oh, I was in human service for quite a few years. I was a conflict specialist um, way back when I was working with gangs and I um, was a crisis interventionist and I was a home visitor and I worked with teachers who were dealing with Uh, marginalized populations. And I was working with those marginalized populations. And then I went to Bosnia when I went back to school and I had the opportunity to spend some time there watching those folks try to rebuild their communities after war and genocide. And when I came back to the States in Philadelphia, which is my hometown, I recognized all of these similarities between the work that I had been doing for years and what was happening in Bosnia and the people who were doing the work and just people trying to maintain civil society wherever it is they are and how hard that is and just how it can really burn you out. So I wanted to create something that was going to address those things and rehumanize people. And rebuild trust. And rebuild trust because I really think that trust, especially right now, is this endangered species in our culture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can you, um, I want to dig into the specific stuff in a minute, but one of the things when we first started talking and you explained what the company was, I had trouble kind of picturing what kind of, what the work actually was until I went to the site and looked at it. So can you give like a quick example of an engagement that you guys have done that would help people kind of put it together? Absolutely. We've, well, we've worked with medical and transit and uh, first responders. And some of that has to do with training. And we always work uh, when we do training in circle, in circle processes, because we really believe that the people who are on the ground, they know their work best. And so we use their work experience as 
part of the, the training piece. So we write case studies based on their work and we debrief those and we have folks act things out how they would like things to go and, and rather than how they do go and just help people to see where they're, um, you know, they're just losing, losing respect from the, the folks that they work with. And also we help the management connect with the front line too. And that's, okay. that's part of the conflict stuff that we do. So it's always different. It's, that's such a hard question because people think, what the heck is she talking about? But it's because every organization is a little different and we don't know exactly what we're going to do until we go in there and we figure out what it is the organization needs. Yeah. We can't give you a specific, but it's very much us finding out what your pain point is, for lack of a better term, what's been happening, what your obstacles are, and then addressing those with you. And sometimes that's where an organization has just, there's been some big crisis. It's usually some big crisis that's occurred um, where maybe someone got hurt um, and they didn't feel like the management was supporting them enough. And then the whole organization has just become a place where people don't trust each other. And that's, you know, that really kills productivity. So, and a number of other things. So we address that. Okay. So we, we got into this conversation in the context, just for the folks listening, um, when you came to the, to the, I think it was the PO class first, right? And then you took the CSM? I took the CSM first, and then okay, I came sorry. back. And, Backwards. No, no, no big deal. Um, both were amazing. Um, and then I did the, the PO, yes. Okay. And we talked about how when companies are going through transformation, there is a ton of fear. Um, I'll, try to, I'll try to give one specific thing and then see where, if this works. Okay. Let's say that a company decides it wants to, to move from Waterfall over to Agile, and they've got training for the people on the team level and training for senior management, but there's still all those middle managers who don't understand what's going on. They're told we have to be Agile, but they don't know what it is. They still think they're supposed to give all the tr- traditional stuff upstairs. Um, so there's a lot of fear there because they don't understand what happened to their job and what their role is. Um, and fear is something that you focus on a lot, right? Is that... Yes, because I think that fear is, well, the problem with fear is that it kills creativity and okay. it shut down, shuts down your cognitive processes because your autonomic nervous system takes over at that point. Whenever you're afraid, it's, you go into survival mode. And when people go into survival mode, that's where the, these hormones get kicked out, these survival hormones get kicked out, and then people will naturally go into fight, flight, freeze, fold, that kind of thing. And that just destroys teams and companies. I mean, I'm sure you've been on teams where you've seen people start acting out and and fighting or they're uh, they're running away, they're hiding. I mean, those those actions, which become more sophisticated in an organization than they do maybe in an alley, they're, they're still there. They're still happening. And middle management often feels like they're squeezed because they're hearing the they're hearing the new message, and the new message is like we are we're not doing it this old way anymore. We want you to become agile, but sometimes the message gets mixed, and so they don't always have the the tools to make that change or the understanding, and it's a process. A transformation is not a one time event. You know, it's yeah. definitely a process. So in that process people are afraid because a lot of people 
I, I used to say nobody likes change, but that's not really true. Some people actually do enjoy change more than others. So it, it really is a hard thing for some people, harder for some people. And so you're, you know, you're pulling people along in that, but finding out what it is they're afraid of. And so you're getting underneath people's positions to see yeah. what it is that really is concerning them and what makes them afraid so that you can help them move forward. So is there a way that I can become more aware of when I am having those responses? That's one of the things like I've been trying to tune myself to more. I can see it in other people. Like uh, um, I'm a big fan of Christopher Avery and the responsibility process. And, and he said, always says, when you start reading this, you're going to see all the other people that need it, but that's let go of that. You need to focus on yourself. I see other people freaking out and I'm like, yeah, that guy, he's the problem. But meanwhile, <laughs> yeah. I'm the one that's like got an eye twitch now and all these other things that are going on. How, well, how do know, we become aware of that for ourselves? So there's, so there's this, you know, there's this emotional self-regulation. It's not that fear itself is going to just drive everything. It's how we, we deal with it, certainly. And I think some of us are, are more aware and are, are better at dealing with fear than others. And I think that the first thing to do is to recognize it in yourself and take a step back. I mean, I, I've seen folks who do this well is, is literally say, you know what, I need to take a moment because I know this isn't landing right for me and what I'm saying to you isn't landing right. And so it's that responsible postponement that happens because once you get that thing going, it's, you know, you say one thing, they say something else and it gets really ugly. And then those, those things that are said in that meeting that hurtful. becomes your that becomes your experience for the next six years. You're like, yeah. oh, I remember that day. You said that, and like, lots of stuff, great stuff, could be happening after that. But we're just remembering that ugliness. That one thing, yeah. And the reason why we do that is because that's human beings are built to survive. And so, if we can remember when the that moment when we were under threat, so that we can recognize it again, then we yeah. won't we'll be able to survive. But it doesn't really transfer very well in organizations and in, re in relationships if we're always in that place and to see it for yourself. I think it takes um, a lot of awareness of your, your conflict patterns, like what you do. Like, so some people, um, let me just say, I sometimes go out to the Midwest. Okay. And now I told you I'm from Philadelphia. That's, I uh, <laughs> grew up so in I, Philly, lived there for years. I know where you're going, but go ahead. So I, I grew up, I grew up in Philly, uh, go out to the Midwest sometimes to work. I go down South sometimes to work, but in the Midwest, what I recognized was the language of conflict was different. And so what I mean by that is there's kind of a, a passive aggressive way that people deal with it. And I'm, and I'm putting this out there and I'm not saying one is bad and one is good yeah. because Philly folks, we get in your face and that's, not necessarily a good thing, right? Right. So, so I go out there and people say something to me and it, it sounds like it's a compliment, but then you think I, about it and you're like, oh, that heart. was no compliment. It right. was, they say that in the South. Um, and yeah. then I'm like, wait, what did you say? <laughs> like, are you talking to me? And, and so, so there's that whole thing that's happening. So we're miscommunicating with each other and I'm feeling like this person's words do not match their actions. And for me, that's a super trigger. 
Like, and you're wanna, triggering them too because they're looking at you like, who is this sarcastic, mean person who keeps yelling? Well, who's this person who's in their face? Because um, yeah. I'm like, are are you is are you having a problem with me right now? Can you explain what's? And just asking that question to someone might be a really big trigger for them because you're like, wow, you're you're getting in my my bubble here. You're getting in my zone, and yeah. that's just that miscommunication. So recognizing that we, each of us has our own way of communicating and what are some things that really trigger you, I think is a great way to take a look. Uh, I have a tendency to, to sometimes uh, feel like if, if an older woman is, this doesn't happen to me so much anymore because I am an older woman now, but, but if an older woman is angry with me, that for me was always much worse than if an older male was angry with me because, and I can go right to it, my roots, because my mom, when she got mad, she got mad. And so um, we carry those first experiences that are, are imprinted on us as children. And we work that stuff out in corporate America. You see it happen all the time. Now my mom and I had a great relationship and, and so we had a loving, just a hilarious relationship together. But I still, when she would get mad at me, it was like, ugh, I hated that. Uh, and that was something that I literally had to figure out. Like, why does this person say this to me? And it makes me feel so crappy about myself. But this guy over here just said, said something, and I'm totally dismissing it. And so yeah. that's like an understanding that you develop for yourself. And that can help you not react. It helps you then to respond in a more professional, appropriate way. Now, when you go into an organization and there is a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety and and everything else, and you start talking about how, you know, if we're going to fix this, we're going to have to start understanding our own triggers and ourselves more. How do you do that? Well, yeah, because I can just see where I'd be like, oh, God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. So, (laughs) right. Because it's really that guy that has to fix himself. It's not me. Absolutely. So I said that we do work in a circle, yeah. which is, so you might be like, oh my God, right? So a lot of times we'll make jokes about that. Like there, there's this whole idea that when, when we sit in a circle, this must yeah. be some kind of support group, you know? Right, right. And, and so what I've, I've come to realize over the years is that people both fear the circle and crave the circle. And what I mean okay. by that is, uh, and we do a lot of, I'll, I'll get to that that answer specifically, but I think that, that we just don't spend enough time being in authentic relationship with each other where we, we don't have to start out with uh, our day with like, what are your triggers? We start our day with, so tell me about yourself, introducing yourself. What are the things you like? You don't like, we literally start building relationship in teams immediately in a non-threatening way. Because nobody wants to come in and be vulnerable with someone they don't know or they've, they've already had some pretty negative experiences with. Yeah. So it takes a couple of days. We've been fortunate enough to have clients who are willing to give us the time to do uh, two, three, four, even five-day trainings where, wow. where we really take a look at conflict in the organization and how we can dismantle that, some of those processes that are are really hurting us as a work community. And in that time, people start to build um, authentic relationships just through the discussion. And so helping people find common ground with each other is 
is an awesome thing. And then, of course, the idea that you're just spending time with someone. You know, it's like when you think about how we are uh, in our day, we don't do a lot of that. You know, we, um, the way we communicate, how often do you directly face somebody? Like, how often are you close enough to notice somebody, like the, the twinge of pain behind their smile or that spark of excitement that's happening, you know, in their eyes? Because, you know, in our 21st century Western culture, that percentage is so low because we're texting, we're emailing, we're Twittering, yeah. you know, we're talking on the phone, Skyping, whatever. And even when we get home, if we're fortunate enough to hang out with our family, have dinner together, sometimes the, the TV's in the background, we really don't take the time to just fully show up for each other, to communicate our ideas and our feelings and listen for the truth of each other, you know, those experiences without that static, that techscape that's happening. Yeah. And so, you know, when we get a chance to do that, that does something neurobiologically for us. When we're able to actually sit with each other. It's a way we learn to co-regulate our emotions. It's actually the first way we learned how to co-regulate was with the caregiver experience when we were infants. You know, we, we learned to regulate our emotions based on what our caregiver did with us. And so that imprint is still there. And we still do need to be in relationship with each other. But we just kind of forgot how to do this. And so, and so rebuilding that can be really helpful. So before we go deeper on the co-regulation, I want to check in on one thing. So I have noticed when I'm interacting with people, I have a tendency to not look at them. Um, and part of that is thinking, like I do that thing where I kind of look to the one side because I'm trying to figure yeah. out what I'm going to say next. But I, I know a lot of it also is just a habit of looking at a phone or looking at a TV or looking at something else. And that I grew up in two cities where like you don't look at strangers because yeah. it's right, right. Like an invitation to danger. Um, but I've realized that to create that connection, I need to redevelop that skill, but it makes me so nervous when people do it to me. It makes me horribly uncomfortable when I have to do it to them. Is this, is this like a muscle, like, or an exercise thing that we have to relearn? Well, so we don't go that far. I have been in trainings like that where you're literally stare at somebody and you have to stare at each other. We don't believe in that kind of stuff. I, I like to okay. see the, nat the naturalness of it unfold. And so, you know, if, you, if you're just looking at somebody, I don't know, 60, 70% of the time, then yeah. that's helpful. I think that nobody wants to, I call it like the grill. Are you, are you, why are you grilling me? Why are you looking at me? You know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's that, but occasionally it's good to look up at somebody and, and check in, you know, with their face and read, because we're reading each other's facial expressions. That's, that okay. was our first, that's our native language is facial expressions. So, you know, it's eye contact, it's the micro expressions that happen. And, and if you're, you know, you're constantly looking away, you're sending the message, like, I'm not really interested in what you have to say, or I'm just yeah. about, so, <laughs> You know, like it's, I think it's perfectly fine and it's really a good idea to maybe look away a little bit so that the person doesn't feel like you're just staring at them. Yeah. Um, you don't want to feel like you're somebody's uh, television show. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the people I know that do that thing where they have this like freaky non-blinking gaze where they're just trying to look through your soul and I'm just like, stop it. 
That creeps me out. That, yeah. that totally creeps me out. I don't like that. I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like, just put your phone down, dude. Like, just, okay. that's, all, that's what I'm talking about. Like, just put it away for a little while, you know, yeah. um, so that we can enjoy each other's company and, and really connect. And that's okay. what I mean. So the, do you, yeah. does it take practice to read? Cause we've, a lot of us have lost that ability. Well, you know, I think so. I, although the practice, I wouldn't call it practice so much as... Or mindfulness, maybe? Oh, yeah, there's, I mean, there's definitely mindfulness that I totally believe in, but it's, I think it's just a reawakening of, oh, hey, this actually feels good. Like, uh, you know, I, I think it's so funny because um, we come... Uh, can I tell you a quick story about yes. a person who came? So we had, we were doing a training uh, out in the Midwest and um, the, a participant came in late. And she walked in and she saw the circle and her whole body was like, Oh my God. You know, she was like, Oh, you <laughs> could just see me. it. That would totally be me. Yep. Like, all right, where's the desk? Yeah. I, I thought this my was corner. Gonna, I thought I was going to be, this was going to be a top down thing where I could hide behind somebody's head. And who, what is this woman? Are you kidding? So she was freaking out. So yeah. she sat down and her whole body language, she literally like just flopped in the chair and my co-facilitator comes over to her and, and hands her uh, a name tag and says, hey, listen, at least for the first day, could you just write your name down, whatever you want to be called, and that'll be great. And, then, and she says, yeah, no, um, I'm just going to put my employee number down. And she, so Danielle, who's like, this, this woman is great. She, she doesn't miss a beat, but the, for a moment she stops. Uh, uh. She said, well, you know, I think by the end of the week, you might be glad to have us call you by the name you want. Well, not really, but if it makes you feel better, I'll do it. So, okay. I, so I thought, oh boy, she's going to be a handful. But you know what? By the end of the week, she, we had bonded over big dogs and, and just what was happening in the system. And she was delightful. She was a photographer and we got to know each other. But I get it. I get why she was so unwilling to do it because when you're part of a dehumanizing system. You don't want to take the risk. You know, we don't want to risk that idea of like, oh, do I actually have to talk to somebody and be vulnerable? Like that's not okay. But once we find out that this is a, a space where we're all agreeing to create some emotional safety, and I know safety is like a word that people are like, oh, safe space. But like, yeah. <laughs> it's really, it's a, it is really important for us in order to build trust. Then what's going to happen uh, if? if we can do that, this person is going to start to get reinvigorated about their relationships with people on the job and the work that they're doing and, and how they feel about their clients also. And so yeah. it, it really does all feed back into like, oh, I'm not a number. I'm a human being and I want to remain a human being. And so that work takes some time. But um, to answer your question about like aware, awareness, yeah, we do this one thing. Uh, it's called the conflict continuum, and we ask. We've got this line. It's a line of starts with aggressive, then there's uh, the next card is um, assertive, and then there's passive aggressive, and then there's passive. And we ask people. I start by telling my story about you know where I grew up, um, but we ask people to to come and stand on the line. Like what did it, what was their household like? And so we don't do this on day one, by the way, because this is like way, way too vulnerable, right, for people. Sure. But we just say, hey, where, what was the household like where, you're, where you grew up? You don't have to say a word about it. Just come stand on it. Stand in, in your area. Sometimes people stand between two things. 
And if you want to speak about it, fine. If you don't, that's fine too. And then we ask people to move to where they are now in the way they communicate in conflict. Okay. not necessarily on the job because that's a system and there are certain things, but like, where's your go-to? Where do you like to be? And then people start talking about that. And that helps people build some understanding of their triggers and what happens for them. And they hear each other speak uh, about what their experiences were. And so, you know, we're sharing what's happened to us in our lives and how we've evolved to be the, the human beings that we are. So the thing that's so interesting in, in what you just said and earlier when you gave the example, I think you said her name was Danielle, said by the end of the week, you know, you probably want them to think of you as more than just this number. And you mentioned the big dog conversation you had with the person. Yeah. Um, it's almost like you're enticing or seducing them into letting some of those muscles relax so they can just be with people. Yes, exactly. That's it. Because how often do we do that? Well, we're too busy being clenched up for (laughs) bracing for the impact. Yes. Um, Yeah. So that, what if, okay, let's say that I'm somebody who's working on a transformation or just trying to get a team to trust each other again, because something's happened. Um, And I don't have skill. Like I haven't studied social engineering. I don't know a lot of different language techniques and I'm not real good at building a safe space. Like what, what are some ways I could get started trying to learn about that stuff. Do you mean, so you mean before you start to do this work is what you're saying? Not Yeah, I mean, because I'm, my fear is that if I don't have any abilities here and I try to create a safe space that is like a, a house of cards, if it collapses, then it's going to be 10 times harder the next time. Yes, that's true. And I think, I think learning um, some some basic things about neurobiology can be really useful. There's a great book out uh, by a guy named Bessel van der Kolk, and it is called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's, it's about trauma and what happens. It's a, it's a really interesting, insightful book um, written by a psychiatrist who's been doing trauma work for years and years and years, but it's very readable. And, uh, it really explains what happens to us when we experience trauma or we experience burnout even, you know, when we are feeling like we can't trust people. Uh, There are a number of of books out there. There's, I think that the neurobiology piece is really interesting because it helps us understand that we really are, we're mammals and like other mammals, we want to protect ourselves. And so we have these coping mechanisms that we do. And so when we can see what other people are doing and, and we try yeah. to break that stuff down, then we're more likely to have more success with people. Okay. But I, I, I really, I really get concerned about the leaders who think that, you know, it's good to create a little extra stress in the environment to keep people focused, you know, like, Oh, okay. You know, have you ever met leaders like I'm, that? They're well, like, I want to, Go at this. Uh-oh. Is that okay? <laughs> Are you one of those? People? No, I'm. I'm not really one of those people. I believe in. Um, I believe that it's important to have an environment where people can take the space that they need to to thrive. But I also believe in the power of conflict. In that, if it wasn't for conflict, there'd be no rock and roll. There'd be no. Oh, I rock. totally agree with no you. Spectacular totally art. So that yes. rub, that tension, I think is important to maintain 
but I also think that there has to be, I don't know, I guess, uh, an opportunity for people to take the space that they need. Well, I think that, that when it comes to conflict, it's inevitable. We're, we're always going to have conflict. It's how we address it, how we deal with it. And, and are we able to tell each other the truth about it? Have we built a system in organizations where you can really process that, where you, where you can transform it? Because, you know, a lot of conflict specialists talk about conflict resolution, but we do conflict transformation. And that's where you take a look at the whole system and you see, is, you know, is this a place where, where conflict processes are healthy? And I think that when you are, are a leader, the leadership is putting stressful situations in there just so they can keep people on their toes. I think that while there's certainly a, a modicum of stress that's expected in the workplace, and if you can't handle some stress, then this is not the job for you. But, right. And it does create a laser focus in the human brain when, you're, when you have some stress. Like that's, that's not a bad thing in itself. It's just that I think it becomes deadly when teams perceive that the leader's manufacturing stress as a weapon, you know, to well, lead or, out. As an example, if I'm comparing the velocity of one team to another, saying this team isn't as fast, therefore they aren't as good as the other team. Right. Yeah. That would it, not be healthy. I don't think it would. I mean, it puts people in survival mode and that destroys trust. And, you know, because there are things that may be happening there, yeah. um, that, that the impediments that, you know, what, so what's going on? And, and you want to take a look at that. You know, look, I, I prefer to foster collaboration over competition, but I'm not suggesting that all competition is bad. You know, it's, I think there's different types of competition. There's like that Olympic team competition. And and that's, you know, that's when there's uh, people who, you know, are relative equals and they may be vying for some top spots, but they, you know, they still believe in the team. They believe in their country. They're, they're for the country. And then there's like that game of Thrones type competition where, you know, um, eventually some team member is going to burn down the city unnecessarily because they don't trust anybody and they think everybody's out to get them. I don't know if you're a Game of Thrones fan or not. I had to, I had to tap out after the red wedding. It <laughs> an unsafe space during that wedding and I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, it's, it, it, was, it was pretty intense. But, but the idea here is that this doesn't have to be where it, it's, it's all survival and, and yeah. death to the other side, you know, and, and, this notion that that creates more creativity is wrong. It's just wrong. It's just not true yeah. because we, when we go into survival mode, we, we just really, we're not able to brainstorm. We're, we're really only focusing on a few possibilities in order to survive. And okay. one of them is to run. One of them is to fight. One of them is to hide, you know, fold. Yeah. So. So can you explain the neurobiology part of this? Because I want to make sure that that's coming across as well. I mean, you've okay. mentioned it a few times and I don't know if we've gone into it. I don't feel like we've gone into it enough to really give it justice. Well, yeah. And you know what? It's a, it's a huge topic. So, so it is, it's one of those things where it's not always easy to uh, express in just one or two sittings, but to try to create some understanding around it. I think that um, whenever human beings are feeling under threat, their cognitive processes go away. That part where we're reasoning, that kind of goes away. What happens is we have an autonomic nervous system 
And that nervous system takes over because that's their survival system. And essentially you have this thing called your amygdala, which is in your brain. And that's when it recognizes a threat, then it sends a red flag to the hypothalamus. And then that releases some survival hormones. And then those hormones tell the pituitary gland to release hormones. And then that releases uh, hormones through the adrenal glands. You know, like that's, that's how the thing like goes. It's a cascade of stuff. It's this cascade of stuff. And, and you know, what's interesting about it is, uh, like I said, a little bit of stress is not a bad thing. It does help you to focus, you know, like um, adrenaline. It helps yeah. you to, to, you know, do the laser focus and all of that. But then there's this other thing called cortisol that comes in, right? And that's something that helps you to kind of shut down your immune system for a little bit and okay. your digestion so that all of your energies are going to that specific threat, right? But here's the problem. If you're in fear mode much of the time in the workplace, yeah. then what's happening is that, you know, these hormones are getting kicked out regular. They're on the regular. And yeah. in addition to the adrenaline is the cortisol, which is now messing with your immune system and it's messing with your digestion. And that's really how burnout occurs. People that they're not coming to work as often they're, or they're, they're disengaged. They may be coming to work, but they're not engaged. It's almost like an overdose. It sounds like it's it's totally that. And we're, and so we're not able to function as well as a team because we're not collaborating. We're not listening to each other. We're just thinking about how we're going to survive. You know? Okay. So that's not useful in the long term, And it's why people, you know, we talked about it in class, why people will lie. <laughs> you know, like, will you get this done? Oh yeah, we'll be able to get this done. Because in that moment, they just don't want to hear the, the, <laughs> just yeah, yeah. Make it to the next moment. Yeah. yeah. Wake it to the next moment. So eventually, and then maybe on the day that we're going to have that conversation, I'm just not going to show up and I don't want to hear that. So that's not really helpful. It, it's not productive at all. Okay. And so that's something that if we've got folks that we work with who are going through that, or we see that in them or we see it in ourselves, that's something we'd want to learn how to work. We want to, we want to learn how to build better relationships with people. And I think that, um, not all of these, the things that we do in our work, Red Kite Project, is yeah. these trainings. We do a lot of consulting and we help people to create better systems, more humanizing systems. And it's hard, you know, it's hard for leaders to make a turnaround. You know, once you've, once you've lost trust, yeah. that's a difficult thing. You know, how, do you, how does a leader rebuild trust? You know, that's, that's hard. And, and I, there are ways to do that. And we work with leaders on that. But there's about you know being more authentic and maybe being a little more vulnerable with with your team and saying hey you know what I messed up like uh, I made a mistake and I want to rectify that yeah so you would engage with the company let's I mean I'm gonna say this out loud and hopefully it's gonna make sense and if not we can I'll cut it out <laughs> later <laughs> um, let's say that a company has been uh, very traditional and they've burned through the trust. Like there is no trust left. Yeah. Um, they want to create some kind of organizational change. They might bring in red kite project to work alongside or, or with whoever's managing that change to help foster the rebuild of trust, the rebuild of the, of the system yes. so that we have healthy patterns of conflict. Right. Like I can, I know with my boss, I can get into it with my boss and it's like, 
it's there's never a question about anybody's role or there's not like anybody not being respectful. It's just we're challenging ideas. Yes. And that to yeah. me seems that's, very healthy. That and that doesn't mean so so yeah. I'm never at risk. Yes, that's it. I mean, conflict is not a bad thing. It's it's that it's not gonna get processed very well if if one or both or all parties feel like the end game is I'm gonna lose my job, you know? And so when you always feel like your job is under threat, it makes it much harder to function. So yeah, we may fight it out. And again, I said I'm from Philadelphia. I I believe in direct. Let's like, let's, <laughs> let's bring it on. Let's talk about this. Like yeah. what happened here? Let me tell you what my, my perspective is here. This is what I saw. And you know, this was not pretty, <laughs> like get, get into it. Sure. But that doesn't mean that I'm threatening you and I'm threatening your, your identity and yeah. your job. And there, so there's a big difference. And so I think that leaders need to learn how to be more authentic and be more empathic and, and vulnerable and vulnerable. And that, and here's, I think a big one is that your words and your actions have to match, you know, okay. because there, there's a lot of uh, lip service that goes on and I, and I see it in companies all across America. Yeah. Where we're talking about well being, and we're talking about, you know, well in our company, we've got this gorgeous, uh, I'm not, not my company, but in, in companies you hear people say, we've got this gorgeous uh, gym and there's a pool. And, and a we, foosball table. Yeah, everybody's like having a good time, but they also feel like they're under threat. And so yeah. well-being is, is a little less about, about exercise and a lot more about feeling empowered to speak what's happening for you and trying to solve it and, and to feel like uh, somebody's going to hear you and they may not make a decision um, that's an outcome you want it to be, but at least you really feel like you were heard. Yeah. And then they're, they're going to come back to you and they're going to say, look, this is why we didn't go with this. Okay. Because I think ultimately people want to be acknowledged. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's something that leaders sometimes are afraid to do because they feel like if they acknowledge something, then, uh-oh, that means that I did I did something wrong. And I think that you have to have enough ego strength to say, wow, I kind of screwed up on this, but here's why we're going in this direction now. Okay. So how do I know if I have a safe environment, if I've created, or if I am, I guess, even saying I created, how do I know if the environment in which I'm working with people is a safe space? I think when people show up, when people um, are, are more creative, um, when they are, having a good time, but they're still getting their work done Um, when they're being real with each other, but they also recognize what the the vision is and they're all helping to enact that. Okay. Um, Everybody's on the same page. And look, it's not to say that, you know, we don't get on these teams and you see somebody who is really struggling and it doesn't have anything to do with the organization. It's that they brought their problems with them. Yeah, And that has to be addressed. I mean, we've got some serious problems in this country around opiates, right? And, yeah. and it's happening across all socio- socioeconomic backgrounds. And that's, that's a real thing. And that's also, uh, unfortunately, a coping mechanism for some folks. And so, you know, that can totally destroy a team yeah. and a team morale for a while. So, like, these are things that have to be addressed. But how are they being addressed? Are they being addressed in a way that's, um, you know, that we're being empathic, yeah. but we're also being responsible, you know, and that to balance those 
I think people see that. They recognize that when, when we're balancing those two. So it would be an environment where we are supportive um, and able to be direct and care for one another in a not I'm going to let everything go kind of way, but in a I'm going to we're all going to hold each, hold each other to the same line. Yes. Accountability is an enormous piece to this. Okay. How are we accountable to each other? That's the reason why when we are in authentic relationships, literally sitting with someone, that's kind of an accountability. We're sitting with each other. We're, we're being with someone. That means we're accountable to you. We're, we're responsible to you because I've made a commitment to hear what it is you have to say. That's, that's just one simple little thing right there. So, I, I was going to not ask any more questions other than the one that I said I was going to say, but now I have one more. Okay. Um, and then I promise I'll let you go. Um, the way that you just use the word accountability is different than the way I hear a lot of people use it. And the way I hear a lot of people use it is I need to hold someone accountable. And it's like, I don't know, it just feels like a thumbscrew. Yep. But if the way you just talked about it, it sounded to me like I, I could make myself accountable to another person if I chose to do that. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So it's like something I would give to someone as opposed to something someone would impose on me. Yeah. I, I, not that they're totally interchangeable, but I think accountability has a lot to do with commitment. Okay. And it's, it is how we show up for each other. And that is how we show up for our children and our parents and our, yeah. our spouses and our workmates and our bosses and our direct reports and and how we show up for each other as a community and a world community. I think that stuff's really important if we're going to rebuild trust and create a more civil society, whether it be in the workplace or in our communities. Yeah. And we all have this stuff happening in our personal lives and our work lives. And like you just said, all these other ranges of areas that we're involved in. Yeah. And, and so that all impacts everything else. And that's why I think trust is definitely uh, on the endangered species list, but it doesn't mean it has to die. That's awesome. All right. And that was the soundbite that I'm going to put on before the podcast starts. Um, now, can I ask you my other special question? Yes. Yes. Go okay. for it. I was in a situation recently where I was on a panel of folks and we're delivering some news to people that were trying to get a certain kind of certification. And sometimes people don't get the answer that they want. We try to provide very actionable feedback, but often in the heat of the emotions of the moment, the folks on the receiving end might not be able to really hear what we're saying. And, I'm, and it's very possible that since we're the ones delivering it, we're also caught up in the emotions and we're not entirely clear all the time. Yeah. Um, do you have any suggestions for how to circumnavigate or work through or hack, whatever you want to call it? the fact that that moment is so charged with emotion that it's hard for the signal to get through all the noise? Yeah. So uh, th that's a great question. And I think that uh, I want to know a few more things about it. So okay. first of all, let's think about what's at stake for this person. They're looking to... It's pretty high professional stakes. Yeah. It's high professional stakes. So right away, the the person is knows that that they're in a sense under threat of losing what it is that they're going for. So naturally, as I talked about the neurobiology and yeah. what happens when your autonomic nervous system takes over, you're looking for the greatest threat. So if someone starts to signal immediately that the threat is happening, <laughs> you're 
your brain is going to be flooded with those survival hormones. And right. it's only going to hear the things or see everything in a way that's, uh-oh, I'm done, I'm done. And it's really hard. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's really hard for that person to come back then and hear anything positive. Okay. So so some some of it is is just going to be what it is. But I think that it's really useful to share positive positive comments yeah and to to hear that and i know that's not necessarily what uh what we're what that's what people are saying these days but it's it's just basic neurobiology like once you hear the negative you're you're like done okay that's it and the other the other thing about it is um how is it being delivered? Where's the person? Is the person standing? Are they sitting? Is it in a, is it in a circle? Is it, are they, do they have a table between them? And, you know, like what, what's happening in the room? Like, how does it look? So they're on the opposite side of a table in front of a panel of people and they could be sitting or standing depending on what they choose to do. But it's definitely, there's like a physical barrier of the table yeah. between us. Yeah. Yeah, and so that right away is is the so being judged, it would be better you know? to sit in a circle. It, it, I mean, if you're looking for people to uh, come back and try this again, and you we, see are, and we want positive, them to, we want them to know that we're there to support them, and that that's part of what we're trying to fix. Well, I would get rid of the barrier. Okay. I would turn it into a circle. I would ask them how they think they did first. We do that. Yeah. Okay, that's great, and then. Uh, I would share some positive comments and then I would, you know, the other thing is you're doing it in a group of people so that there's that, um, which makes it hard, but it's still really important. You know, you, these are things that have to happen. Um, and then you might ask them how they felt about the feedback and, and you also would probably, and you may do this, ask them, um, in a survey later on, if there was a better way to deliver it, or if you, you know, th- just, yeah. and I'm, yeah. I'm just kind of, I haven't really thought through this yet, but yeah, find out, you know, like, so it's a 360. Did this work? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Um, so if people want to, <laughs> oh, oh, this was a really cool interview. And if people want to get in touch with you to find out more about how Red Kite Project could help them rebuild trust in their organizations or, or better position it to be able to enact some of the organizational changes they're trying to, to work on. What's the best way to reach you? Uh, phone call, uh, get on the website and see, okay. and, and also phone us. We, okay. it's, you know, two one five four five nine three five one eight is our okay. or project.com. And I'll make, and, I'll put links to all this in the show notes. Yeah, that's great. Yes. And we, we love to hear from, Folks, even if it doesn't turn into a client relationship, I, I'm one of those geeks. I just like to talk with people and find out what's happening for them because I think it's a, there's a bigger picture happening here and it's just a great learning for me too. Cool. Yeah. And I learned, I, I appreciate that you came to the class, but you've been so open with talking about this stuff because I've learned a ton just from the interaction with you. And, and if, if you. you're curious about it, if you go to their website, you're going to see the long list of very high profile companies that they've worked with. So um, they do a lot of amazing stuff. And thank you very much, Charlotte, for your time. Today. Thank you, Dave. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. 